Uh, it is good to be together, is it not? All right. Um, you know, some of you may be joining us online, which is awesome. Uh, looked out the window this morning, maybe saw snow and said, meh, not today. So we'll turn on the computer. Um, but it is, it is good uh, to be gathered together as we start our, our basically a new church year, Advent. It's the, the first Sunday of Advent is the first Sunday in a new church year. And um, I'd like to invite you to fire up your imaginations as we get started this morning. Uh, I know some of you looked out the window and imagined you were someplace else already today. Um, but uh, if you can keep your imagination going for a moment, uh, I want you to imagine that you are part of a group that is lost in the wilderness. Okay? Part of a group that's lost. And you can imagine the wilderness however you want. It can be a mountain wilderness. It can be a desert-type wilderness. Whatever. Forest. Whatever you want. Pick your, pick your poison there. But you're lost in a wilderness with a group of people. And oh, by the way, it's nighttime, so it's dark out. Um, all right, so everybody's got their imagination going. So you're in this group of people that are lost in the darkness of this wilderness, and you hear a rumor, and you're not even sure where this rumor came from, but you hear a rumor in this group that there's a, a, a safe place nearby, a cabin or a house or, or something. You don't really know the specifics of what it's going to look like, but there's, there's a safe place nearby. We're lost in the middle of the wilderness, but there's rumors of some ways we can go, and if we get there, we'd be welcome. It'll be warm. It'll be safe. Um, if we have any injuries, they'll take care of us, help us get healed. Um, and in this wilderness, you've you somehow stumbled across or were given or found, I don't know, however, somehow in your hands, you ended up with, with a guidebook on navigating this wilderness. And so your group has this, this guidebook that, that has maybe some maps that highlights some trails to go. It, uh, it maybe gives you some tips on what to avoid, you know, don't walk into this thorn bush, this is poisonous, that type of thing. Um, and so you have this, this guidebook that in theory should be really helpful, right? So you're lost in the wilderness, it's dark out, you've got this guidebook and you've heard this rumor of a safe place that you can get to. Um, but because it's so dark out and you're in a place that you're not familiar with, even having the guidebook doesn't solve all the problems, yeah, because you aren't familiar with, with this path to the house or the journey to this cabin, sometimes you still get lost. Uh, sometimes the teachings of this guidebook don't make sense. Uh, sometimes somebody in the group thinks they, they might know better. Maybe you think you know better. Like, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to try my own path. This is a shortcut, or that way seems too hard. Or, so maybe we just ignore the guidebook for a little bit, put the map away for a while. Um, but that always comes to the same result. You find yourself more lost, more spun around, more confused than before you started. And so maybe you think, well, we just need the right person to lead us. And so you're in this group, and so maybe somebody tries to lead you for a while. Says, I know the way, I'll show us the way. And that doesn't really work out very well. So somebody else says, well, I'll give it a try. And so we follow somebody else for a while, and no cabin, no house. All that happens is we end up wandering around in the dark, bumping into trees, tripping on rocks, twisting ankles, getting cuts and bruises along the way. Um, maybe we start arguing over which is the right way to go. We get frustrated. Everybody kind of forms their own opinion, has their own thoughts, which way to go. Maybe we start blaming people for making the wrong decisions. Don't do that. <laughs> you idiot, that was the wrong way to go. We start... It, 
It can get hostile pretty quick, right? Frustrations rise, angers rise. And so after bumping around in the dark and arguing as a group for what seems like forever, you find yourself speaking the words of the modern day prophets. Um, you might know them as a rock band called Sticks, but um, the words are show me the way, right? You find yourself in the wilderness, and if you don't know Sticks, don't worry about it. Um, it's not, <laughs> not worth worrying about, I was just trying to be silly. When you find yourself in the wilderness, in the darkness, lost in the woods, or wherever your wilderness looks like, saying show me the way, you realize in, in these moments that, that you and the group aren't able to find your own way out. Right, like you're, you're not gonna be able to work your way out of this darkness, that this, this bumping into trees and tripping on rocks in the darkness isn't, isn't productive. You're not gonna be able to find your way out. Somebody who knows the way needs to come and guide us. Somebody who maybe has a, a light, you know, maybe, maybe Craig would show up with one of his flashlights um, <laughs> and, 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 sh- and show us the way, right? Like if you're ever lost with Craig, you don't have to worry about being in the dark. Um, But we need somebody to show us the way to, to, to point out the paths to somebody that knows and understands the guidebook. Maybe somebody that's, that's walked on these paths before. Maybe somebody that can explain this to us and light up the path for us. And that's where we start Advent. Wandering in the darkness in the wilderness. Now, it's, it's rare that I preach from the book of Psalms. I, I, I really don't do it very often. I went back and looked and I... For the past several years, I don't preach from Psalms, hardly ever. But the text for this week captures hope in the midst of darkness and can teach us how to pray, confess, and live out hope. Like I said, I don't preach from Psalms often because I like the stories of the gospel, right? Like the narrative, I like a good story. Or I like the teachings of Paul where it's real straightforward. Like he's just saying this is how things work or this is how you fix this problem or whatever. It's kind of straightforward, but... Psalms is different, Um, and yet it's the word for us today. And so I want to invite you uh, to to read with me Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. Um, It'll be on the screens, and again, um, there's uh, Bibles underneath the chairs if you want to follow along that way, and if you don't have a Bible, um, please take that red and blue and whatever other colors they are. Um, That's for you, we want you to have a Bible. Anyways, read along with me, Psalm 25, verses one through 10. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Your good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them in his way, or teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. Pray with me, if you will. 
Father, we are coming uh, to the sanctuary today expectantly, uh, patiently, hoping, uh, looking for something from you. Um, We read these scriptures this morning and are grateful for your word. These words of this psalmist, this author, this person who is wrestling with life being difficult. Um, These words have been preserved and speak to us even today. Um, But even more importantly, we are grateful that those words point us to your word that became flesh in Jesus. Father, help us to see Jesus in our midst, to seek after him, to live according to his way so that the world may see him. Uh, That's where the hope of salvation rests. Father, we thank you and love you. Amen. Like I said a few moments ago, and as you probably already knew or may have known, the first Sunday of Advent is the new year for the church. And so, you know, as the calendar flips from December to January, the world will celebrate New Year, the ball will drop, and people will celebrate in a variety of ways, some of them more helpful than others. Um, But for the church, the first Sunday of Advent is a new church year. And around this time of year, we often see people talking about the hardships of the year that's gone by, thinking about some of the challenges and maybe the longing for something new, something different. Next year is going to be better. Next year is going to be different. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be different. Often this journey towards the promise of hope feels long and daunting. It's, It's filled with obstacles and unmet expectations. Sometimes it has darkness, despair. I think of... um, you know, when I was, I was over at Hope Church uh, earlier this morning sharing the same message, and um, during their worship time, it was mentioned um, just kind of how last year at this time, we were so ready for 2020 to be done. We had a hope and expectation that the calendar would flip and, like, everything would be new. Um, and here we are a year later. <laughs> 2021 is coming to an end, and there's many of us who are still experiencing hardship Many of us experience heartache. Many of us find ourselves in darkness. The sting of despair, of loss, lingers. Things don't just end because the year, the calendar flips to a new month or a new year. And so here we are once again, beginning a new year, once again reminded that we still live in a a broken world that feels to some of us, to many of us, maybe this world is beyond repair. Maybe it's too broken. But we come here again to a church service to a week where the focus is hope. We lit a candle. We start talking about hope in the midst of hopelessness. We come here to these words of the psalmist. He says this. He says, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me because you are the God who saves me. I put my hope in you all day long. We read these words of promise, of trust, of hope, a reminder of who God is. God is trustworthy and faithful. But also a reminder of who we are. We're a people of hope. 
even in the midst of despair. And so the psalmist begins his writing this week, the scripture that we read, by declaring his trust in God, starting right out in verse one. I trust in God. Now trust in the Bible is not simply an idea uh, that somebody's gonna do something. It's not a, a, a general expectation. It's not like a, you know, we use that word trust in a couple different ways, but it, it, trust in the Bible isn't the same way that's like I trust my kids to put the groceries away when they're asked to. Like it's not that level of I think somebody's gonna do something. Um, biblical trust is, is confidence in who God is, right? God's reliability, God's nature, God's character. And so trust, when, when the Bible talks about trust, it, it's talking about a posture or an attitude towards God in which one is confident in God's character and reliability. You know who God is and you know that God will continue to be that way. The Common English Bible, which is just an, an, another translation, which is it's a good translation, um, but it translates verse one to say, I offer my life to you. So for the psalmist, trust involves surrendering. It involves giving my whole life to God. So in one verse in this psalm, just, we're just one verse in, verse one, the author has already made two important announcements to us. In one verse he said two things. One, God is trustworthy. And that he is willing to surrender and trust his entire life to God. And if you jump to, Psalm, uh, to verse three, the psalmist transitions from a conversation about trust to a conversation about hope. He says, don't let anyone who hopes in you be put to shame. Now the plea to have no shame be brought upon those who hope in God, it connects to God's trustworthiness. So hope is connected to God's trustworthiness. There's a relationship between hope in God and trust in God. He says, because those who trust in God won't be put to shame. God always follows through. Those who hope will ultimately see their hope fulfilled is what the psalmist is indicating. <coughs> we'll see that there's some overlap between the definition of trust and the definition of hope. Like if you look up the word trust in the dictionary, you'll probably see a few definitions, one of which will probably be hope <laughs> or confidence. Um, and if you look up the definition for the word hope, you'll probably find the word trust in there somewhere. There's overlap in those two definitions. But in the Bible, they are two distinct ideas, two distinct concepts, even though there is some overlap. And there's a few ways to explain the difference, the nuance between the two, but the best way I found recently to explain it is this. If trust is the confidence in the character and reliability of God, then hope is that trust taking us on a journey. And I'll explain that more. Um, but not only do I think God is reliable and worthy of trust, that's, that God is trustworthy, but because of that trust, because of who God is, because of God's nature and character that I have confidence in, I can hope towards a specific future, right? So hope is trust that invites us to go on a journey. What happens today in our society is often hope is confused with wishing, right? Um, 
It's confused with the idea of, of being passive, like things are out of my control. I hope that the Lions can figure out how to kick a field goal, right? No, no. I'm a Bears fan, so I watched that game on Thursday. Ago. Anyways, um, it's, it's, we say hope, but we mean I wish, because you're not going to get in there and kick the field goal for the Lions. Or you, you wish or hope that, that you know, the snow is gone when we get out of church today. It's out of your control. There's nothing active that you can do to participate in it. We confuse wishing and hoping, um, but they're not the same thing. Hope leads to action, at least biblical hope. The way that the Bible talks about hope leads to action. And that's why I said it's trust that leads us on a journey. It's, it's our confidence in God that leads us somewhere specific. Hope leads to action. There's a promised future, an expected future, a destination. There's that house in the wilderness. There's the cabin that we're trying to find. And so trusting God is not the goal. It's a good place to start, but it's not the finish line. Having confidence in who God is, knowing that God is reliable, knowing that you can trust God is a, is a great place to be. But it's not the end of the Christian life, it's the beginning of it. Confidence in who, is, who Jesus is, who God is. So trust in God is the beginning of this journey of hope. And if you're wondering why I keep coming around and keep kind of circling back to this idea that, that hope is trust on a journey. What is, why did I get this idea of a journey? Why am I talking about traveling? All you have to do is read verses four and five in our scripture again. And we have a, a slide, I think, if we can put those up there again. Um, next slide, yeah. So this is, this is verses four and five from the psalm that we just read. This is the psalmist speaking to God. He says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. It's a journey, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a path. And then we jump to, to verses 9 and 10. And again, the same imagery comes along. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Right? All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. This is a journey in which we walk, what we're searching for isn't anything other than a path that God leads us on. The psalmist has surrendered his life to God and trusts God to show him the way he should go. And so the psalmist, he, he, he's, when he talks about God, he's not talking about the angry old, old guy with the big white beard in the sky, right? That's not, what, that's not his attitude, his understanding of who God is. He's not looking at God as that, that old grumpy guy in the sky, but he's looking at God as a loving shepherd who leads the flock in the right paths. He's going to lead them to the pasture for, for food. He's going to lead them to the, the river, the creek for water. He's going to lead them into the pen for safety at, at night. God is this one who guides them on the right paths that leads to life. And this attitude, this expectation that God is the shepherd, that God is the one that is going to provide, that's going to care, that is hope expressed. Hope is trust that is taking us on a journey. But who can go on this journey? Right? This is an important question for the church, well, the world today, honestly. Who can go on this journey? Who is invited to follow God on these paths? Who, who can be guided by God himself? 
who can count on God, who can trust God to lead them on these paths that lead to life. And there's some who might think that only the people who haven't messed up are allowed to follow these paths of God. Only those people who are perfect, who haven't sinned, who, who haven't made mistakes, who, who understand the whole Bible from cover to cover that, that gets everything right, those are the ones that can follow on this path, right? Isn't God only interested in caring for those perfect people? The psalmist says that that's not the case. In verses six through eight, and I think we have another slide for that, he says this, remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. God has great mercy and love. God's mercy and love are long-standing characteristics. This is who God has been for a long time. That's what that awkward phrase when it says uh, it's been of old, right? I'm like, what does that mean? It means that's who God has been for a long, long time. <laughs> God has been merciful and gracious for a long time. This gracious and loving God should not remember the psalmist's sins and rebellious ways, but rather because God is good, the psalmist requests God to remember him according to his love and not his sin. Teach me your paths, teach me your ways, not because I've merited it, not because I'm good enough, not because I deserve to be on this path, but because your path is what will lead me to you. Because you love me enough to show me the right way. He says God is good, God is upright, and because of that, he teaches sinners the way. A good and gracious God, God in his holiness, in his goodness, in his righteousness, teaches sinners the way. He guides sinners on their journey. He teaches those who are lost how to follow the paths of God. And that's good news today, right? Sinners can learn to walk on the paths of goodness. After all, who needs a doctor more than someone who is sick? Who needs comforting more than someone who is suffering? Who needs a guide to show them the way more than someone who is lost? Who needs the light more than those who are in darkness? And so God's mission in all of this, according to the psalmist at least, isn't judging, condemning, and punishing those who are lost. God's mission in all of this is seeking, saving, redeeming, and restoring those who are lost and getting them back on the paths that lead to life. A year ago, we gathered together for the first Sunday of Advent. Um, we acknowledged our need for a savior. We began declaring a hope in the coming of Jesus. We declared our need for God's own son to bring light and life into the world because the world was filled with darkness. A year ago, we, we gathered and did all of that. And then we celebrated Christmas as the arrival of that Jesus right, that we were hoping for, the fulfillment of God's promise to the world. We celebrated that. We talked about Jesus as the answers to generations of prayer. We celebrated Jesus as the gift to the world. We lit trees with lights. We lit candles. We lit up our houses to represent Jesus' coming as the light to the world. 
We gathered for, for special services. We prayed prayers. We sang songs. We celebrated the arrival of Jesus and declared it boldly. And then we entered into the season of Epiphany where Jesus reveals God's presence in our midst. As we began 2021, we started asking the question, who is God and what does Jesus reveal to us about who he is? We spent weeks exploring Jesus' relationship with God the Father. We spent weeks exploring and learning from Jesus who God is. We did that faithfully. We prayed. We asked questions. We worshiped together. And then we observed Lent, the season of Lent. We confessed our sins. We set aside things that were getting in the way of us following Jesus. We prayed for forgiveness and mercy. We leaned upon the Holy Spirit for strength during the season. Right? We went through that together. We, we were vulnerable before God. We confessed our sins as individuals and as, as corporately. We followed Jesus into the wilderness during Lent. And then we followed Jesus into Jerusalem and to the cross of Good Friday. And then we followed Jesus out of the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. We grieved his suffering. We celebrated his resurrection. We embraced the implications of that resurrection. We, we celebrated new life, new creation in Jesus. And we did that with fanfare. We did that boldly. We did that obediently, faithfully. And then on Pentecost and the months following, we focused on the birth and faithfulness of the church. We ask the question, how do we live faithfully as God's people? The Spirit has been given to us. What does that look like as we live in the world? We've spent months listening to what God desires from his people. We've gathered Sundays, learning to be faithful and putting to practice what we've learned. We've spent months growing as Spirit-filled, sanctified believers. And last week, just a week ago, I stood here behind this very pulpit and confessed Jesus as Lord. Christ is King. He's King of all kings. He's King of all creation, right? Boldly, confidently, we announced that. We pledged our allegiance to King Jesus. We celebrated that God's own Son sits on the throne and the kingdom of God is present in our midst. We did that just seven days ago. And yet, after spending an entire year faithfully following Jesus to the very best of our ability, faithfully in prayer and worship and in generosity and fellowship and all the things we did to the best of our ability, we walked out the church doors last week and the world was still broken. <laughs> it was still a mess. Sunday after Sunday, we've gathered and we've prayed and we sang and we read scripture and we preached about Jesus and we've come to church and we've done all the things that we believe God is asking us to do and we walk out the doors and the world is still broken and dark. There's darkness, disease, and death. I said last week that the kingdom of God means reign or rule of God. It's not a place you're pointing to on a map, but it's a, it's a way to understand everything that is under the authority that has been ordered by God, that is how God desires it to be, the things that are obedient and faithful to what God wishes them to be. Think, um, think of the Lord's Prayer, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, that's the kingdom of God, things that are, that are on earth as God desires them to be. And so if, if Jesus' main message was that the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is present, 
Why does it seem like so much of life is not how God would want it to be? After countless prayers and sermons, the world is, is still a mess. Things are not going how we would like them to. As I was wrestling, like I said, I struggled to preach from Psalms anyways, and then last week was a bit of a, an odd week with the holidays and all of that, and kids out of school on certain days, and then, and then I wasn't feeling great in the middle of the week. Anyways, I was struggling with writing this, this sermon about the goodness, <laughs> you know, hope, um, just because Psalms are, are difficult. And then, um, not to get too crazy in, in personal family stuff, but within like a two-hour window, I found out that Jonas's bus had been in an accident and then a deer had jumped out in front of Jessica on her way home from work and smashed up the car. Um, and everybody was safe and all, you know, everything was fine. There was nobody hurt. Um, any of those, they could have been a lot worse. But last week as I was wrestling with, with hope, like how can, there's, how, how can we hope after a year of doing everything that we were told, instructed to do, we were faithful to what God has called us to do, why is the world still broken? <laughs> and it just seemed to get worse. It seemed like things were going wrong faster than we could fix them. And honestly, I wasn't sure how I would actually get a sermon together this week. I know that's a joke a lot of weeks. It's like somebody should write, somebody should write a sermon at some point. Um, but I struggled this week. Some of you sat in the sanctuary last week and heard me announce that Jesus is Lord of all, and then you... You know, we said amen and we ate some food and we, we left and you went home and you were confronted by health issues or problems at work, conflicts with family members, maybe grief from recent losses that were magnified by the holiday gatherings, so much more. So what are we to do after all this time following Jesus, being faithful to what God has called us to do, doing what we think we're supposed to be doing and the world is still broken and corrupted by sin, like what are we supposed to do? New creation has not yet been fully realized despite our obedience. It might be tempting at this point to give up on God, to find a little bit of despair. I mean, if God is good, why is everything such a mess right now? So maybe, I don't know, maybe God's not as good as I thought he was. And if that's the line of thinking we go down, we might actually try to find a replacement, something else to put our hope in. Somebody else that's going to fix this mess. I mean, God might not fix this, but maybe politics is the answer. So we're tempted to put our hope in a politician or a political party. God's not fixing it. Maybe my, my political party will fix it. Or maybe God might not fix this, this situation or this world, but maybe rugged individualism is the answer. Maybe we just say every man for himself. The strong will survive and the weak will get pushed aside and that's just the way the world works. Or maybe God might not fix this, but maybe humanism, secularism, maybe that's the answer. Maybe if I can just be a good enough person myself, and maybe if I can surround myself with enough good people, life will be good. We can take the God thing out of the equation. Let's just be good people. Let's put our hope in our own abilities to be good people. And the truth is, many in our society have made those decisions. They've put their hope in their politics, in their individualism, in their own humanism, their own ability to be good on their own. But the psalm we read today provides an alternate decision. We don't have to choose one of those. It comes from a, a period, the psalm comes from a period in the, in the history of Israel where things weren't going great. 
The psalmist isn't, isn't writing these, these lines from a, you know, a comfy couch <laughs> living in a palace. As you read through this, this 25th Psalm, you see that he was worried about his enemies, that they were gonna continue winning. <laughs> he was gonna be shamed and his enemies were gonna continue winning. He was worried about those around him who were being, as he says, treacherous without cause. That's being evil for no reason whatsoever. Israel experienced generations of loss, conflict. They experienced uh, being ruled by bad kings. They experienced being ruled by foreign powers. The people of Israel knew what it meant to live in darkness. They knew what it meant to wander in the wilderness. And yet the psalmist says, I put my trust in God. I put my trust in God because of who God is and what God is like. I put my trust in God because through it all, God has proven to be trustworthy. I put my trust in God because God has been faithful to us in the past. The psalmist says, despite everything going on around me, despite the presence of enemies, despite my own shortcomings and my own failures, I trust in God because I have experienced God's faithfulness to me. Have you experienced God's faithfulness? Is God worthy of your trust? If you answer yes or amen to that, I want you to take a moment and think about this. We can place our hope in God because God is continually faithful. Remember when I said that hope is trust taking us on a journey? Can we trust God even when things are dark or broken around us? Is God worthy of trust even when the world is acting like the world? The question for the first Sunday of Advent is does darkness put out the light or does light put out the darkness? Advent always begins in the dark. Every year we begin the church year lost in darkness in the wilderness. Advent always begins by acknowledging whatever is wrong, whatever is broken. This is the starting place. Advent begins with our need for a light as we live in darkness and our need for a guide as we live in the wilderness. So the question for Advent to today, this first Sunday of Advent, is do we trust God to lead us out of this darkness? Do we trust God to lead us out of this wilderness? Where do we expect God to lead us? Where is God taking us? Where is God leading you as an individual? Where is God leading us as a church? How you answer that question, it's, it's not rhetorical. How you answer that question is what you are hoping for. Right? Answering the question, I want God to lead me to, or I expect God to lead me to fill in the blank, or I think God is leading us to fill in the blank. That's what your hope is. As Christians, we can think of all the details and specifics and a lot of different things, but ultimately our hope is nothing other than Jesus. What is God leading us to? Where is God leading us to? It's to Jesus. So this first Sunday of Advent, the invitation is to put your hope in Jesus and let that hope guide you. We believe that Jesus is the light that reveals to us the way, the truth, and the life in himself. Right? Jesus gives us the light and it's himself. He shows us the path and it's himself. He gives us the true way to live and it's himself. 
then the presence of darkness around us doesn't cancel out that hope. This little tiny candle, if there's no other lights in the sanctuary, would still be burning. And it would light, it'd be brighter, honestly, if this room was dark. The presence of darkness doesn't cancel out the hope, but it focuses our attention to the light. So God is worthy of our trust. And we can trust God to fulfill his promises. So even when things aren't as they should be, especially when things aren't as they should be, we turn to the light of hope to guide us forward as we walk with God full of faith and expectation. And so this first Sunday of Advent and the days to follow and the weeks to follow, may our hope in the coming of Christ orient us towards God. May our hope in the coming of Christ guide us on our paths. May our hope in the coming of Christ help us not to hope in other things, but may the light of Jesus light the path for us to God. And so as we go forward together, may we go forward with God.